Few tragedies stop us in our tracks like the destruction of ancient art that comforts us. The world looked on in horror this week as the roof and spire of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris went up in flames. As fire ravaged through the 850-year-old cathedral, onlookers wept, sang hymns, and prayed to cope with what was transpiring before their eyes. God's steadfast love and majesty, exquisitely adorned in places like the iconic Notre Dame, is not contained in a building. The Holy Spirit moves free to comfort and attract people to God in times of trouble. Today on Context, an Easter special on why hope is always rising and will never be destroyed. Eight hundred and fifty years of French faith, culture, and history devastated in a matter of hours. Over a billion dollars has already been donated for reconstruction, and politics paused for the French conviction to rebuild. We are rebuilders. There's a great deal to be rebuilt, and we will make the Cathedral of Notre Dame even more beautiful. Anne Bersot grew up in the shadow of Notre Dame, and she says she mourns for her beloved cathedral. Anne, how did it feel to watch those dramatic images of Notre Dame on fire? You know, I was having my, uh, my lunch in the kitchen at EMCI TV, and I couldn't believe it. It was like, it is impossible what's happening. What, I, I, I thought it was like, a, you know, a, a spam, an error. And, but it was starting on the, on the roof and it was going quick. So it was heartbreaking, really. And it's heartbreaking to watch all of you as uh, French citizens and how you've responded. You're, um, we saw those images on the street of the people crying, singing, praying, and you're both a TV producer and a minister of Christianity. What do you sense is happening spiritually in the wake of this fire? Well, you know, France has been uh, really uh, de-Christianized for a hundred years, for a hundred years now. And I think people realize seeing this treasure going into flames, into ashes, they realize that they were a Christian country at the basis. They were historically a Christian, um, a Christian country. And most of them had just forgotten that point, that important point. So we saw Christians uh, cry and... Uh, singing but we also saw regular secular citizens and they were also crying and they realized that our roots are christian it's been a difficult time for christianity there's over 875 fires that were vandalism fires that were set in france in 2018 what is going on with with uh, with that kind of vandalism against christianity yeah, it's new. It's new. You know, I, I immigrated to Canada 18 years ago, and when I was living in France, we'd never heard of such things. So it's new and it's alarming. Uh, I've heard that uh, in this year, in, from uh, January, we've already had 65 fires, 55 vandalism, uh, vandalized uh, churches, evangelical churches, and also uh, uh, Catholic churches. I think there is uh, three per day, three vandalized church per day. So it's a lot and it's a new phenomenon and it's alarming and the government is, uh, 
Well, we don't hear a lot about it, but it's still here and uh, it's alarming. Okay, and the link has not been made that there was vandalism with Notre Dame's fire, but what does that great cathedral mean to the French people? You know, it means everything on two points. Um, for Christianity, it means some, something because it's the, the greatest Catholic symbol in France and also historically because every major historical event took place in Notre Dame de Paris and, and this for uh, a thousand years, well, 800 years. And uh, the, the kings were there, Henry uh, IV got married there and he converted to Catholicism there. Um, Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte, there was his coronation here. Um, when Second World War finished, it was in Notre Dame de Paris that the people celebrated. Every time we have national funerals, it's in Notre Dame de Paris. All the tourists go to Notre Dame de Paris. So for France, it's the heart of Paris, it's the heart of France. And it's even there that the first settlements were uh, made in, uh, well, 2,000 years ago. So it is the heart of France that uh, went to ashes uh, the day before yesterday. So it's, um, it's dramatic. Anne Bersat of EMCI-TV, thank you for your unique perspective on the beloved Notre Dame Cathedral. Here to talk about the Catholic community's reaction to the Notre Dame fire, Neil McCarthy from the Archdiocese of Toronto and Moira McQueen, a professor at St. Michael's College. Ah, Moira, not only the uh, fire, but the relics mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. crown of thorns. How significant is it that the crown of thorns was saved? What does that mean? Oh, it's extremely significant. I mean, this is a great sign of hope that it was rescued and so symbolic. The, the whole idea, and especially happening in Holy Week, when our church and other churches are about to go right through the Passion, then to realize that the crown of thorns is such a symbol of humility. Well, tell yeah. us what it is a symbol of, because many people don't know no, that, what the and crown of thorns of course, means. Of course, that's right. So in response to the question, are you a king? And Jesus replied, well, you say that I am a king. And of course, to us as Christians, he is the king. But at that time, that response was very, very strange. And so in mockery, instead of crowning him with a real crown, somebody made this crown of thorns and pressed it into the head of Jesus. So that apart from anything else, this was another symbol of the suffering that he underwent. So for us as Christians, that crown of thorns is really a symbol of Jesus' suffering. At the same time, it is a crown, and it, so we look beyond it transcendent to Easter. Rescued in the fire. Rescued, yeah. Neil, French state and church have a history of sort of fighting over who would care for Notre Dame Cathedral. But what is the church trying to say spiritually, Neil, with the grandeur of a cathedral? Well, I think a cathedral is a spiritual anchor and, and most cathedrals in large cities are in the center of the city. And um, when you come in from out of town or if you're flying in, you're driving in, you can often see uh, the spire of the cathedral. It, it stands out in the city. And for, for us in Toronto and, of course, cathedrals around the world, it's a reminder to all of us that our faith is alive in the center of the city, in the midst of the, the hustle and bustle by the hospitals, uh, you know, the entertainment district, uh, you know, athletic activities, all sorts of things. There's a space for faith there. And I think it's more than the architecture. It's saying that it's a spiritual anchor in the community for people of faith and Catholics in particular. 
Neil, a lot of uh, pledges uh, to donate to rebuild the efforts. A benefit concert scheduled for this weekend. Um, the billionaires have chipped in, thank goodness. And President uh, Macron says definitely we're going to rebuild. What are we seeing in hope coming out of such destruction? It's, it's beautiful, really. In the midst of this tragedy, one of the things that was most striking to me was to see the people that gathered outside Notre Dame that first night and they were singing hymns to Our Lady, and that's the literal translation, Notre Dame, Our Lady. And uh, the fervent nature of people coming together and saying, despite the fact that there's been this tragic uh, fire that's taken place, it's not going to shake our faith. In fact, it may inspire us to be more united in our faith, to come together. The cathedral is a sign of our mission in the center of the city. But the faith permeates, when we say in Mass, now we go out as disciples of Christ, and what will we do with our faith to live it amongst our neighbors, to be ambassadors of Christ? And so that's what we saw outside Notre Dame the other day, where people were gathered to inspire one another and to support one another in this difficult time. It looks like revival on French streets. In my yeah. tradition, we would yeah. call it revival. Would yeah. you? Do you think this has been yeah. a spiritual wake-up call to yeah. reconnect with God? It's a wonderful way to put it, revival. I mean, I, Neil is exactly right. Watching people just gathering spontaneously to pray, to sing hymns, to kneel on the cobblestones, that idea of this is something really important to us. We don't want to lose it. It really brings the faith, I think, to the fore in a way that... Sometimes, you know, just we think of a cathedral yeah, as just a building of stone, but this has somehow revived us. It's a well, good word visual it. reminders yeah. do that. Thank you both. The Notre Dame fire is tragic, uh, but it also serves as a reminder to us all that the church is more than a building, and as we celebrate Easter, that hope is always rising. So, why are Christians such hopeful people? Sheldon Neal to explore that question with young faith leaders. Kevin Makins and Amanda Samuels are both millennial influencers in their faith, reaching young people, people really of all ages, with a message of hope. Okay, let's riff off of these questions a little bit. Kevin, let me start with you. Sure. Easter, I can hear people asking already, what's it all about? Does it really matter? Yeah, it's fascinating because we live in this post-Christian culture. You know, people aren't necessarily going to church on Sunday morning or even on Easter. And so if Easter is just one religious holiday among many, then it matters to a few people. But I think what's fascinating about Easter are these universal themes about uh, what we as Christians would believe God is doing for all people. So we've got life overcoming death. We've got hope in the darkness. We've got self-sacrifice. The story of Easter is really a universal story that should be relevant and meaningful to people all over the place, not just people of one particular religious path. And Amanda, I'll put this question to you a little bit different than Kevin's. People think of Easter, or even maybe those who are watching, they're thinking the bunny, they're thinking the chocolates, the Easter egg hunts, the whole thing. Uh, but is it more than chocolates and a bunny? It is. I feel like for the, for the youth of today, like they really get hung up on the chocolates and the Easter egg hunts, but there is so much more to Easter. Um, I think it does breathe a lot of hope. Uh, as Kevin was saying, it's a time where you can really come together, honestly, and it's a time where you can get to gather with family and overcome all of those, 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 those um, scenarios yeah, that you were talking totally, about. Like, yeah, so I feel like it's it's a time where we can just just bask in the hope and the the glory. I would mm -hmm. say of there being more to life than just our circumstances, and it's just I think it's a it's a it's a beautiful season for that. So the big question then is, what is the Easter message? Uh, and maybe there's some personal experiences for you that brings that to light. Kevin, I'll start with you. What is the Easter message for those who don't know? 
I mean, the Easter message is the story of Jesus and who he was and what he did and the fact that he faced down death at the hands of a cross, of an institutional empire's cross and was shamed and nailed and killed and overcame that through the power of God and through the power of God's love. And so you could look at that message from a lot of different angles and see a lot of different things. But I would encourage anyone watching this or trying to figure out what Easter means to start where they are. You know, do you feel a sense of shame? Well, then how can Easter give you a sense of freedom and forgiveness? Mm -hmm. If you feel hopelessness in the darkness, how can Easter bring light? Uh, you can go through all these different doors to enter into the mystery and beauty of Easter. Amanda, I'm going to shift that to you in this way. We're living in a, wor a world where there's tragedy, there's hunger, mm -hmm. there's, we're in flux and people are looking for answers. Right. You talked about hope earlier in our conversation. Mm -hmm. What does the message of hope in Easter bring to a world that oftentimes feels hopeless? <laughs> What's the power of that? Uh, so I would use from personal experience, growing up, um, Easter was really more traditional. It's uh, get up in the morning, go to church, and you know, you get to see your friends, your family, and fellowship. But um, growing up into the, in this society, in this world, um, you really don't get to understand the story of Easter until you get to know Christ for yourself. So for me, it was getting to know, getting to build a personal relationship with God for myself. It made me understand more of what Easter rep represented. Uh, the resurrection of Christ, giving us hope in those situations where we do feel hopeless and we do feel lost. I feel like Easter is a great time to just remember throughout the year where you were and how where you where you used to be and how you overcame. And it's, it's really like a pivotal moment to just bask in that hope and that glory. You know what I hear what you guys saying is that Easter collectively, I think for all of us, it becomes an answer that we found in yes. our personal lives. Whether it be you're talking about hopeless, whether it be you felt shame, hey, there's restoration. Easter for us is, hey, we found someone who allowed us to find an answer to face this world looking for for an answer. Uh, I love you guys. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you, Gordon, you both. Yeah, thanks, man. Can belief in God give you hope for your health? Coming up, we take a look at hope through personal and scientific stories from my new book, For Your Health. And the importance of a child's wish when it comes to sustaining hope. A doctor explains how granting wishes to critically ill children impacts their health. Well, to help with your hope this Easter, we're going to refer to some guests from my book, my recent book, For Your Health. And I want to introduce to you two science researchers who are in this book. And uh, we pulled you both into this story about hope because of your scientific background. Uh, Tommy Sue, you have been a science researcher, now turned pastor. And uh, Colin, you have been uh, a scientist that looked into physics. Physics was your, was your science background. And you now work with the Order of St. Luke, helping people with physical healing. Let's start though with the miracle that happened for you, Tommy. All right. My wife, uh, she had a, a tumor around her ovary. And, um, and there were symptoms for many years, but we never knew that it was because of tumor. And when we arrived in Canada, we went for some kind of checkup and we realized that it was there. And um, after we knew about it, we went back to the church and asked the church to pray for us. And um, 
after a few weeks, we went back for another checkup, and it's just gone. And um, we and together with the symptoms, which was with her for a long time, but it's all gone. And it helped you have a baby. And you, you, you've had a family, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some other miracles. But this, you as a scientist, first said, wait, let's wait and just see. And it has yes. proved uh, yeah, my, through prayer. Yeah, my scientific mind was like, no, this cannot be true, right? Let's just wait and see. And then we waited, and it was really, all the symptoms was really gone. And we tried to do elimination in our mind. It's like the only logical conclusion we could come up with is, is God. God healed your God wife. God healed my wife. Okay, Dr. Colin Campbell, this happens. There are other types of healings. Uh, explain a little bit other than outside the physical healings. Mm -hmm. What else do we see? Well, the, um, I got into it uh, from a very rational uh, background, being a, a physicist. And I had an experience that um, uh, during the Eucharist, I, I saw this blue light. And uh, no one could explain what it was. So I went to uh, an Order of St. Luke conference in Waterloo, and everybody's dressed in blue. So I went up to one of the uh, uh, priests there and said, why are you dressed in blue? And he said, blue is the color of healing. So I got into the Order of St. Luke, and there are physical healings such as Tommy experienced. The one I find most common is spiritual healing. So for example, people who have depression or anxiety or mental health problems. Are you mm. saying this is completely compatible, that there is, uh, God is above what you explain scientifically, there is healing that happens physically, emotionally? The science I was brought up with was what was called mechanism, where, where God is excluded from a providential role. And the experience I had was God gave me that because it was quite clearly not explainable in scientific terms. All right. Both of you, thank you very much for your insight as a science background, but having experienced God interrupting and bringing hope. Thank you. An important reminder to seek the healer first, and thank you both for sharing your spiritual experiences. Thank you. When it comes to healing and hope, what difference does granting a wish make? To answer that, we have Dr. Patel, who is the lead researcher on the Wish Impact Study from the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Dr. Patel, tell us what your report uncovered. Yeah, so what we did is we looked at several kids who got wishes here in our home institution at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and we compared them to a group of kids that were very similar, but for one reason or another that we don't know, did not get a wish. And what we found was is in the kids who had a wish compared to those who didn't, the kids in the wish group were twice as likely to have less hospitalizations and emergency department visits in the year after their wish. Can you give us an example of how a wish by a child affects the outcome of their diagnosis? But we think the reason why is it might give the sense of hope to the child and perhaps the family. But more importantly, it allows the family unit to be together and experience time away from the children and child's illness. You looked at over 400 cases of children who have received a wish. That's, uh, or really, what's one most miraculous story of healing you've encountered? I, I had the pleasure of taking care of this young boy who came to me at age 13 
Uh, he was not doing well with his seizures. Uh, he was failing multiple medications. And now he was starting to actually decline in school. So unfortunately, his grades were tanking. I tried to make changes to his medicine, and they weren't really taking hold. He was continuing to have seizures. And it was around that time where I got introduced to the Make-A-Wish organization. And I said, you know what? Let's give this child a wish. Well, he went on this wonderful trip to meet his favorite basketball players who at the time were playing for the LA Clippers. And he also got to take his family and he got to go to Los Angeles with his family to Universal Studios and had this wonderful weekend and were, you know, treated like very important people or VIPs. And when he came back from that trip, he was seizure free. I was blown away. Here's a child who's having on average around 20 seizures a day leading up to that trip, who now is coming back without one seizure. Wow, such a critical and passionate, important story shared there. Um, Dr. Patel, why is hope so essential to a child's well-being? Hope has an amazing opportunity to change the outlook of a par person in general. And I think when it relates to a child with medical illness, it gives them a sense that people, A, are with them in their journey, and B, that they can overcome and beat this. You know, I often have to give parents bad news, but one of the biggest things I always tell them is to never give up and never to lose that hope. Because if we lose that hope, then we're going to be at a longer road of recovery. And there are some studies that have suggested that, mostly on the impact of mood um, and how if you don't have hope and you lose that sense that your mood potentially will be less and have a higher risk for depression and other psychological illnesses. In our study, we didn't really quantify why we saw the major differences that we saw. However, many of us do believe it was the power of hope that comes with getting a wish from the Make-A-Wish organization. Dr. Patel, there is so much hope in the vital work you're doing for children. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Well, let's take hope a little personal now, and science actually has some help for us on this. Hope, religion, and your health. Dr. Harold Koenig studies this at Duke University Center for Spirituality, Theology, and Health. Dr. Koenig, how does belief in God affect a person's health? Well, Lorna, it affects it in many ways. It influences a person's attitude towards different experiences in life that might be traumatic and, and hard to deal with. It influences your social environment and it involves, it, it affects people's behavior that ultimately leads to well-being and hope and a sense of peace and a sense of meaning and purpose in life. So it really affects it in many, many different ways that one might consider to be psychological, social, and behavioral. Okay, so it brings hope. Does it actually, does belief in God bring healing, physical healing? I think, I think that it does. I think that having belief in God gives you a sense of meaning and purpose and hope, as you said, which then affects your body physiologically. It affects your blood pressure, your immune system. It can affect your heart. And many, many studies show that uh, it can affect longevity. So people who are more religious, who have a deeper faith in God, 
just seem to do better across the board in terms of their mental health, in terms of their social health, and in terms of their physical health. So this isn't um, kind of an abstract thing. Your research actually shows the deeper you go in the knowledge and facts of your faith, the better it is for your physical health. Yeah, I, I think that, again, the key is, is, you know, the depth of your faith and the extent to which your religious faith directs your actions in life. To what extent it directs how you treat other people, how you think of yourself and and how you go about life. It, if, if it affects your behavior and your thoughts and your actions, then it's going to affect your physical health in, in like I said, in many different ways. Okay, you know? Dr. Koenig, I, uh, thank you. I, I wrote, uh, as we've shared, uh, you are quoted in my book, For Your Health. I, I really appreciate your research that you've brought some science to this business of our health and the hope we can have that a spiritual connection in a personal way with the God who cares for us makes a difference. Thank you. It does indeed. Thank you. We've explored Easter this episode, but to help us get it right, let's close things off in the wrap with context blogger and professor of religious studies at Crandall University, John Stackhouse. John, help us with the meaning of Easter. It is about help for the human race, right? Can you explain that? Well, it really is, Lorna. I mean, I think when we ask the big questions, we realize that what we need, each of us and all of us, is moral help with all the sin and all the, the mischief and all the wreckage behind us, morally speaking. And we need physical help against the great barrier of death. And we need political help to know how to look after each other and to get along with each other in this world and whatever world there is to come. And in Easter weekend, we have the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And a few weeks later, the ascension of Jesus to heaven. And that's why Christians call him Savior and Lord, because he brings us forgiveness. He shows us we're going to get new life if we will trust him for that. And he is the one who will help us now and in the world to come to solve the political problems that seem otherwise to bedevil us. And so this precious week where we focus on that unique message, I actually thought when uh, we covered the, the fire at Notre Dame Cathedral and we saw with such global relief that the altar and the cross was undamaged in the Notre Dame fire of Easter week. Remind us the meaning of that cross and altar configuration. Well, it's so powerful, isn't it, that this very week, this tremendous disaster has made us look at this giant tourist attraction and think, what's it really for? And of course, what it's really for is to focus the attention of Paris and France, and this week the world, on the self-giving of God for all of us in order that we don't have to keep living the way we're living, that there can be a better life and God is ready, willing, and able to give it to us. And your blog this week, it wasn't the blog I expected, John, on context, but you wrote about hell, about the fire of hell. You actually think that's the greatest message 
that we can help people realize they don't have to be separated. Explain why you wanted to do hell. Well, hell is the is the good news that all that's bad in the world is not going to be there forever, that God is going to take care of it and he's going to remove it from the universe. We all hope that's the case. Hell is the Christian doctrine that it will be the case. And we can avoid it if we will let God do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's the big question. Will we let him help us or do we insist on going our own way? Professor John Stackhouse, thank you. Good to be with you, Lorna. And we also want to remember the three black Baptist churches in Louisiana that were burnt to the ground by an alleged arsonist. Uh, donations have been pouring in there also and a great outpouring of support. So thanks for joining us, everyone, and happy Easter to you all. Thank you.